Welcome to Unraveling the Anthropocene, Race, Environment, and Pandemic, a podcast series brought to you by the Liberal Arts Collective, or LAC, at the Pennsylvania State University. As an interdisciplinary group, we promote visionary scholarship in the humanities, we build community across different fields of study, and we highlight the ways that different disciplines inform and shape one another. You can find more information about our previous events on our website, sites.psu.edu backslash liberal arts collective. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic this year, we have developed this podcast series as an intervention into our global ecological emergency. In our discussions with scholars, activists, artists, and community members, we address how global ecological crises both impact and are impacted by political turmoil, widespread outbreaks of infectious disease, and racial violence. Hi, and welcome back to Unraveling the Anthropocene. I'm Marve Tabor, and in this episode, I'll be having a conversation with Kidon Bromberg, Nadam Ajdalani, and Yana Abu Talib, co-directors of Ecopeace Middle East. Ecopeace Middle East is a non-governmental organization with offices in Amman, Ramallah, and Tel Aviv. Ecopeace Middle East brings together Jordanian, Palestinian, and Israeli environmentalists to promote sustainable development and to advance peace efforts in the Middle East. Kiton Bromberg is the co-founder and 25-year Israeli director of Ecopeace Middle East. He has written extensively on the relationship between water issues and peace in the Middle East and has presented before the UN Security Council, UN Climate Summit, US Congress, European Parliament, and other international forums. An attorney by profession, Gideon Bromberg is an alumnus of Monash University in Australia, Washington College of Law at American University, and Yale University's World Fellows Program. Nadam Ajdalani is the Palestinian director of Ecopeace Middle East. She holds a Master of Science in Environmental Assessment and Management from Oxford Brookes University and has served in leading technical positions with several international agencies in the areas of infrastructure development, mainly water and sanitation, sustainable and clean production, as well as various tasks on institutional capacity building and policy advisory support. As a strong believer in the impact of proactive dialogue, she has also been part of several initiatives by Palestinian-Israeli groups, including the One Voice Movement and the Palestinian-Israeli Young Entrepreneurs Forum. Nadam Ajdalani has recently addressed the Ecopeace vision at various high-level international platforms, including the UN Security Council, NATO, and the Planetary Security Conference. Yana Abu Taleb is the Jordanian director of Ecopeace Middle East. She leads Ecopeace activities concerning the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, the Good Water Neighbors, and the Water Energy Nexus projects. Her responsibilities include supervising international project development and management, serving as a liaison to and lobbying of governmental and private sector figures and organizations on major regional policy issues relevant to environmental protection and transboundary water. Yana Abu Taleb is heavily involved in promoting and facilitating national and regional dialogue to advance policy processes needed for sustaining peace. She has co-authored many reports and policy papers and speaks regularly at local and international conferences. 
Gidon, Nada, and Yana, welcome to our podcast and thank you for joining us today. I'd like to start by asking you to talk a bit about the organization's foundation. Could you give us an overview of Equipeace Middle East's foundation story? Where, when, and how did Equipeace Middle East come into existence? What is the organization's mission? And what brought you as co-directors to this project? Equipeace was uh, established in uh, 1994 at a time when there was really uh, euphoria that peace had broken out and that there was a, a sense that uh, a new Middle East where uh, uh, lots of development would take place and major highways, in fact, you know, Road 90 on the um, uh, Rift Valley was going to be designed to be an eight-lane highway linking Cairo with Istanbul um, uh, to move goods and, uh, and people from Africa you know, through the Middle East onto Europe. And, 50,000 new hotel rooms were being proposed to be built around the Dead Sea by the Israeli side, by the Palestinian side, by the Jordanian side, without really any consideration for carrying capacity. And therefore, um, uh, the rationale as to why Ecopeace was created was to make sure that you know, uh, the peace that, that was breaking out between our uh, three peoples um, was also going to lead to peace with our shared environment. Um, so that we also have peace with nature and that we don't lead the, the, the peace process and the development uh, surrounding uh, that process wasn't gonna lead to uh, a even greater environmental demise than we already had. Um, so, so, so that brought together, that reason brought together um, uh, uh, four uh, people from each of our countries, and at that time also four Egyptians, um, to meet in Taba, uh, all of us coming from an environmental background, um, uh, working in existing uh, environmental organizations in our four countries, um, with the idea that, that uh, perhaps we could create a new organization that would seek to, uh, to place environmental issues onto the political agenda, so that the peace between the people would also result uh, in peace with nature. Um, uh, so, so that was the, the founding sort of story and rationale of the organization. Of course, very sadly and very quickly, um, uh, that very quickly derailed. And we came to understand that uh, the peace that we were dreaming of wasn't moving forward. And in fact, we saw lots of increases in, in violence and, and um, uh, uh, troubles um, uh, that, that actually led to development uh, not pouring in at all. And Ecopeace, you know, within uh, you know, certainly four years was having to decide, are we relevant? Because clearly overdevelopment was no longer taking place. Peace hadn't broken out at all. Things were uh, terribly mixed up. And uh, you know, should we just close down? And it, it took us several years uh, to come up uh, with uh, you know, reinventing ourselves as an organization that in fact, the trust uh, built uh, uh, in that time, over that time, um, and the uh, overarching uh, issues of common concern were in fact a great model for peace building itself. And although, 
the term environmental peace building, you know, in the late 1990s didn't exist. Um, uh, we were actually inventing what environmental peace building uh, uh, was all about. And, 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 and in fact, you know, groups were coming and studying uh, sort of our experience of peacemaking by using the environment as a uh, issue of common concern. Um, so, so, you know, the transformation of the organization um, and the organization has, trans has transformed itself, you know, again, several times in, in maybe in smaller ways over these last uh, nearly 26 years. Uh, but um, uh, uh, the transformation has taken place in order, in order to remain relevant, in order to make sure that we're truly serving the people, you know, each, each, the peoples of each one of our countries and the environment, um, of course, that we all share. Um, uh, so that uh, uh, we uh, seek to promote peace through the environment and uh, seek to live in an environment that we can proudly call a healthy shared environment. Thank you, Gidon, for this great introduction to EcoPeace Middle East's foundation and mission. I would love to hear more about some of the projects you're developing. You have several different projects focusing on conservation, sustainability, community building, youth education, and of course, environmental justice, as you've just mentioned. I'm particularly interested in the work you're doing for the just distribution and management of water resources in the region. Could you tell us about your work in this area? You've already touched upon this, Gidam, but perhaps we can go into more detail. What is the significance of water in the peace process? And what are some conflict resolution and peace building strategies you use? We're um, we're focused on uh, cooperation around our shared environment, but more focused on uh, our shared water resources. Um, water is a very important resource in our region because of the natural scarcity and has caused uh, countries in the region uh, to really compete over the limited water resources. Um, so in an area like ours, uh, what's shared between Jordan, Israel, and Palestine, and if we look at the focus on the Jordan River and the Dead Sea um, uh, that's shared between us, um, there was a lot of tension uh, before the signing of uh, uh, the peace uh, agreement between Jordan, Israel, and uh, the Oslo agreement, the interim agreement between Palestine and Israel, um, tensions that caused each country to make unilateral decisions uh, and uh, uh, try to grab as much of the available water resources within the Jordan River Basin for their own use. Of course, for legitimate uses, for um, you know, uh, uh, municipal use, for the agricultural use, but it left uh, and it created you know that uh, unbalance of sharing between the countries and unbalance between sharing between the people and between people and nature as well. So from that, um, our work and strategies really are uh, focused and revolve around the fair share between the people living uh, uh, in the region, but also between people and nature. Uh, and we can see that uh, uh, very important agreements as part of the peace process was the water agreements between uh, Jordan and Israel. 
Um, unfortunately, it's not, we can't say the same for the uh, water agreement as part of the uh, interim Israeli-Palestinian agreement, but it's something that we're heavily focused on as an organization to try to push forward uh, a final, let's say, well, not final, but uh, uh, negotiations around a water agreement that would be uh, balanced and uh, uh, equitable uh, to Palestinians, uh, uh, just like the Israelis. Thank you, Yana. You mentioned a community-based problem-solving approach to water rights. I'm curious to hear a bit more about this. What does this community-based approach entail? So our uh, community-based approach is um, uh, is basically building consensus on the community level among the uh, uh, basically uh, watersheds that are sharing borders and sharing uh, environmental uh, challenges. Um, what we usually do is we engage uh, communities that are sharing watersheds or water streams or uh, basically they um, sit on shared uh, underground water resources. Uh, we uh, basically mobilize the communities um, from each office in each country uh, in a way that addresses the um, uh, national concerns in terms of the environmental challenges, uh, be it uh, challenges of access to water, challenges of treatment of uh, sewage and sanitation problems, be it um, uh, also uh, any other challenges that are relevant to uh, threats to the shared environmental resources, but which they have basically um, a national dimension uh, and also a, a transboundary uh, nature. Um, and the way we mobilize is by engaging the different sects of the community. So we work heavily with our students and with youth, with uh, teachers. Uh, we have uh, well-developed educational material in the three countries that uh, basically focuses on, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the national context, but it uh, gives also the boundary and cross-border uh, nature of our environment and how much it's interlinked. Uh, and we... Um, also work a lot with uh, farmers, with women in the communities, with community leaders, uh, be it municipalities or village councils. And we try to make them aware of their uh, water reality, uh, the reasons behind it, um, the challenges uh, that they're facing. We try to surface these challenges to make them more understood. And we um, try with them together to find solutions to these challenges and to these problems. Similarly, on the other side of the border, the same activities are being done, uh, whether the issue is Palestinian-Israeli, Israeli-Jordanian, or trilateral. And we um, hence try to uh, also advocate the solutions that these communities are coming up with, uh, with uh, the decision makers in each of our countries. So in that sense, we also work on a high-level, large-scale uh, advocacy program, um, which uh, builds up on the uh, constituencies that our communities are having. And we try to 
the voices of our decision makers to make a policy change. As you've mentioned, Nada, as part of this community-based problem-solving approach, EcoPeace Middle East also organizes youth education programs. Could you tell us about your Good Water Neighbors project? What types of events do you organize? How are your events and programs received by the community? Um, so, so you know, the Good Water Neighbors program you know, started uh, uh, during the Second Intifada, probably the most difficult period that you could ever start a project that's focused on, cooper- on cooperation. And it started um, because um, it, it was trying to serve the needs of uh, people, of communities on the ground. Before that, uh, before launching the Good Water Neighbors program, Ecopeace was very much top down. It was producing policy reports and presenting it to the media, presenting it in conferences to our governments. But the type of responses that we were getting, well, this is expected. You know, these are environmentalists that have, you know, uh, an environmental opinion and they're trying to move it forward. But, you know, who are you, where are the people that you're trying to serve? You know, who are the, the uh, where are the voices of those that don't have enough water or are having to, um, you know, uh, live uh, by a sewage canal um, and so forth. And, and therefore the Good Water Neighbors Program was developed in order to build a constituency, in order to raise those voices from within communities, as I think Nada uh, mentioned before, so that they uh, can speak about their water reality, but also learn about their neighbor's water reality and the interconnectedness of the two. Um, Because once people understand that our political borders are not the only borders that we need to deal with, they're not the, you know, our, uh, our national identity, our, our, our religious identity, and our political uh, borders only make up some of the story. And um, the environment and, and the borders that the environment represents, like watersheds, can be far more significant than any of these other, you know, borders and narratives um, uh, that uh, we associate with. And by uh, helping through the Good Water Neighbors program, uh, uh, individuals and communities understand that we're dependent on each other, that working with the other side is not working for the other side, that we're not doing a favor to anyone. We're acting in our own self-interest. The Good Water Neighbors is, is, all, all, is all focused in understanding um, uh, my self-interest uh, on these issues and how I can advance um, uh, that self-interest of you know, getting more water or dealing with sewage or you know, other um, environmental and economic opportunities. Um, now, you know, EcoPeace, of course, will only, though, advance a- an issue of self-interest if there's mutual gain. So from the outset, you know, we design the interventions in a manner where, of course, all sides must gain. I mean, we're not interested in self-interest um, that only advances one side. It must bring benefits to both sides. And um, uh, uh, in, that, in that manner, we've been able to you know, get mayors uh, to sign memorandums of cooperation, uh, identifying you know, investments that both sides need, a single investment that both sides will benefit from. 
um, that that uh, without uh, the earlier programming, I think that Nada and Yana might go into of, of how we work in the communities. Um, uh, the mayors would have been scared to do something with the other side because they would be heavily condemned. We live in a in a horribly conflict setting, um, in a horrible conflict setting, um, and in order to overcome those voices that condemn cooperation, we need to empower people uh, uh, to stand up, to stand up for themselves so that they can improve their own reality. That was wonderful, Gidon. Thank you. So I'll add to that. I mean, we've been successfully implementing the uh, Good Water Neighbors project since 2001, where it started with only focusing on a few communities around um, our shared water basins. Um, over the years and building on our experience, uh, we expanded, we added more communities, um, we expanded to going into communities upstream, and now we're really working on the um, uh, national levels in, uh, in each of our countries as well. Um, of course, with uh, towards the end, bringing that um, uh, regional um, mutual gain uh, uh, to all. Um, through the Good Water Neighbors program, we work with all different levels uh, or all different stakeholders within the communities. And something that is close to my heart is our work with the youth, um, because we know that youth are our future leaders. Um, so we created over the years um, uh, within each community, within each school of the communities, we work in uh, groups of what we call youth water trustees. And we engaged with them uh, through empowering uh, their teachers and with the curriculum that we developed to learn about um, their water realities, to see their water realities with their own eyes, and then engage them when they're ready on a regional level to also learn about their neighbor's water reality and together be able to identify solutions to move forward and design programs and projects that they would um, benefit from taking to their uh, municipalities or the, their decision makers. And we, you'd be shocked at the power that they have uh, to move things forward and put pressure on the decision makers uh, uh, to achieve policy change or uh, to stop uh, pollution uh, uh, sources that are happening within their communities. Um, but we also work with um, adults um, in the communities, um, all different, you know, uh, um, stakeholders that are, that could be farmers um, to educate them again about um, uh, and empower them with the information about their water uh, problems, their environmental problems, have them be part of the solutions um, so that we are able to achieve sustainability. And the local governments, um, municipalities, with the mayors and with the um, with the staff of the municipalities, to have them also be part of that uh, uh, change that is needed on ground. I mean, it's not easy. It's challenging. We face many problems, especially with us being always condemned of being normalizers. The Arab-Israeli conflict is not an easy one. Um, towards the, the beginning, um, we were, it was hard to uh, uh, recruit 
participants um, for our different activities. Um, but by time and because of the strategies that we use and by us um, employing and uh, um, uh, staff members, our community field staff uh, that we, uh, we called as uh, uh, being there within that community, um, um, uh, being part of that community and being trusted by their community. So we were able to overcome many challenges of uh, having people join the activities and want to be part uh, uh, of that learning experience, let's say. Um, but over the years, because we speak of um, important legitimate issues, because we are talking about our environment, um, uh, we're talking about water rights, um, we were able uh, 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 to have people join and support, of course, our activities. And sometimes now um, it's even, um, we're having to say no, uh, uh, we'll, we'll have to apologize and uh, put some of our, the participants on the waiting list, um, especially in our youth programs. Um, because even the parents, when they saw what we were able to do with uh, the transformation and the change of perception uh, uh, of their youth and empowering them with all that information, they also helped us overcome all uh, uh, many of the challenges on ground. Uh, well, I think that what I can uh, add to uh, the beautiful description that Yana and uh, Gidon has mentioned is uh, another layer of beauty of the Good Water Neighbors, which is uh, the flexibility and adaptability to the changes and to the needs and to the circumstances. Over the years, uh, the Good Water Neighbors has really evolved and uh, uh, was responsive to basically uh, to all the changes and uh, community needs and throughout our experience as well with our stakeholders, we have managed to um, continue to improve and to continue to add different layers and, and different uh, aspects to the design of the program, uh, which made it really lively and really attractive. Uh, as Diana mentioned, we're seeing uh, now much more uh, growing uh, credibility and growing interest in, in these programs because uh, or basically the, um, uh, let's say, the, the portfolio of the Good Water Neighbors and its several uh, activities is, is because of uh, addressing the different interests of the different people and different audiences that we're targeting. I can only uh, speak of particularly uh, two or three uh, layers that we've added to the Good Water Neighbors, particularly to our engagement with the youth who are supposedly going to be the agents of change within their communities and within their careers. We uh, specifically target in this phase of the Good Water Neighbors uh, young professionals with an age group and uh, with a, a career path that would make uh, their engagement and understanding of transboundary environmental and water issues uh, essential to their jobs, uh, but also essential to their ability to change uh, the, the current mindset and to, uh, to contribute to policy change overall. Um, these groups uh, focus on water diplomacy, uh, green social entrepreneurship, 
other uh, aspects uh, that are also currently somehow uh, included uh, are focusing a lot on water diplomacy issues. Um, so, uh, and simulation uh, activities and simulation games. Uh, so in that sense, as you can see, the Good Water Neighbors is just as, as lively as, uh, as a human being. It keeps evolving and keeps growing. And uh, this is the beauty of, uh, of this program. Thank you, Nada. EcoPeace Middle East uses a lot of innovative strategies and platforms for environmental peace building. I'm wondering how the international community can benefit more from these resources. So my next question is, are you collaborating with other environmental organizations in the region or international organizations? If you do have such collaborations, what do these look like? For example, are you offering any trainings to environmental activists or scientists from other parts of the world? Or are you just focusing on the Israeli-Palestinian-Jordanian contexts? So, so um, we, we indeed, um, at the request of, uh, of several foundations, uh, launched a global program uh, several years ago that has developed really nicely um, uh, into a program where we've, where we've uh, targeted environmentalists in other parts of the world, particularly in other conflict areas, um, be it in the Chad Basin or be it in the Balkans, um, uh, where, or, or be it in the, you know, the area of Turkey, Iraq, um, or India, Pakistan, um, uh, uh, where we've been working with uh, you know, like-minded environmentalists uh, and, uh, and developed a training program um, to help them think about whether peace building and using the environment for peace building um, could be something relevant to them as well. So uh, uh, our success story at the moment is in Bosnia, where we started working with both uh, Muslim and uh, Orthodox Christian communities sharing the same river. Um, and, you know, after the horrible... Um, you know, uh, uh, internal violence there. Uh, many communities, literally neighbors, no longer had contacts. And through the Good Water Neighbors program that has been adapted to their circumstances by uh, these local environmentalists, we've managed to do, um, well, they, they have managed to do some remarkable activity. So um, uh, early this year, they organized a big jump. They organized a jump of uh, mayors that hadn't spoken to each other for, for a great deal of time um, uh, to literally jump into that river together like, like we've done in, in Israel, Palestine and Jordan. Um, uh, again, jumping into the river, not because they're forgiven or that they're best friends, but because they've come to understand uh, that they're all losers, that they're all losing from pollution, in their case, pollution of, of this uh, shared river and that they could all uh, gain if they work together. And then by working together on environmental issues, they build trust on other issues that, that help them uh, you know, advance their long-term relationships and their long-term well-being. Um, so so you know, that, that, that's one example. Maybe uh, Nada or Yana want to speak about 
Waterkeeper or, or any of the other organizations that we, Global Nature Fund that we work with? Uh, last year, EcoPeace has uh, become um, a member of the Waterkeeper Alliance. Uh, we um, uh, have, uh, uh, of course, out of our three offices, uh, we are representatives uh, from our three countries uh, uh, as, uh, and recognized as uh, water, Jordan River Waterkeepers, uh, which entails that um, uh, our membership uh, shows uh, over you know the years and our uh, shows throughout our activities our uh, interest to protect uh, the uh, Jordan River which is shared by the three countries um, uh, to protect its hydrological system to advocate for its uh, uh, ecological balance uh, and uh, to uh, basically uh, highlight uh, how much we engage also with our communities and our stakeholders uh, to uh, showcase the importance uh, of this river um, uh, to uh, the uh, society, to the environment, to the people around this region um, from a, a cultural uh, heritage perspective, but also from a, uh, uh, um, uh, also a theological perspective, because this river is also um, considered as holy to half of humanity. Um, in that sense, uh, our relationship with uh, Waterkeeper Alliance also provides us with um, a, a network of water keepers, uh, keepers all around the world. Um, uh, we are learning from uh, other water keepers' experiences. Uh, we are able to uh, um, also expand uh, on our um, uh, uh, basically uh, also uh, storytelling uh, throughout uh, the Waterkeepers uh, platforms. Um, and uh, I think what uh, was what formed as a peak uh, of our relationship with uh, Waterkeepers is uh, the presence of uh, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, last year uh, in our annual conference. Uh, which usually takes place um, in, uh, uh, in the Dead Sea uh, in Jordan. Uh, but also we uh, took uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. to um, several locations around the Jordan River. Um, and, and we spoke about the history, we spoke about our work, um, and uh, it was indeed a very um, thrilling experience to um, see uh, people like um, Robert Kennedy actually um, speaking uh, out to the importance of cooperation in order to protect the Jordan River. Um, so yeah, and we of course definitely keep, um, uh, keep up the communication with all the members and we um, seek every opportunity to voice out our work uh, through the different platforms. Um, just to quickly add to what Gidon and Nada um, uh, had mentioned, I mean, we're always um, looking out and benefiting from creating those uh, healthy partnerships uh, with international institutions to both, you know, uh, share our experience with, but also uh, uh, to benefit from their experience. 
Um, so one, um, one of our partnerships uh, that was created many years ago, I don't remember when, uh, us joining the Global Nature Fund as um, uh, the Dead Sea shared between the three countries and our region is uh, part of the Living Lakes Network. And uh, um, this uh, uh, partnership has uh, uh, done a lot of um, uh, um, added uh, experience uh, to both the Global Nature Fund uh, based on our experience and our methodology as EcoPs working with uh, the top-down and bottom-up approach and, uh, um, you know, and, and uh, sharing that methodology that we're using as part of our good working neighbors um, with the other living lakes uh, uh, within the network. Um, uh, but also um, uh, uh, building projects and partnerships together. Um, so we've recently, uh, or we have an ongoing project with the Global Nature Fund uh, to really implement uh, a pilot of uh, water energy food nexus in the Jordan Valley. You know, uh, us uh, being able to, uh, uh, to advance um, all the strategic objectives and sustainable development needs in the Jordan Valley and bringing in, in that experience of uh, the Global Nature Fund uh, to help us implement the project on ground. My final question is, of course, going to be about the future. How do you see the future of the organization and of environmental justice in the region? If you could just say a few words about your projections, or do you have any new projects coming up? So if I may start, um, the future has to be bright. We're going to make it bright. We've existed um, throughout tough times um, um, uh, due to the conflict in the area. Um, but because we are, um, we refuse to, uh, uh, to stick with a status quo and we are realistic, we look at the, uh, again, the national interest and what needs to be done on the national levels in terms of uh, environmental issues, in terms of climate change issues, in terms of water uh, issues. But then we bring in that uh, regional cooperation, which is a must in our region. Um, so we uh, plan to be there uh, for many years to come. We have a lot of work ahead of us. And definitely there are going to be new projects, but they're always going to, uh, in a way, be uh, uh, built um, um, on what, what's happening now um, and uh, from our learning experience of our uh, ongoing and current projects. So I'm also happy to add on that to say that, um, you know, I, I think as, as we see at the moment, um, there's a lack of leadership almost everywhere, all over the world. We see leaders that are populist, that are um, thinking of, of a very narrow self-interest and don't care about, you know, the broader public interest or the global interest. Or, or you know the planetary interest of of, of keeping this uh, planet healthy, um, and 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 we've known that for a long time that that in fact most leaders don't lead, 
most leaders follow. And therefore, uh, I think what, what we're really proud about in our work at the community level and with youth is that we're helping young people to become the leaders of tomorrow and the leaders of tomorrow that we need, that understand that they're not doing a favor, that working together and that advancing uh, you know, water justice for all, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, sustainability, um, uh, climate security, uh, these types of issues um, uh, by educating the next generation to raise their voice. I think the lessons that we bring to bear over these last 26 years is that uh, uh, leaders will follow when the voices are loud enough. When the, when the voices speak to extremism, then our leaders become extreme. When uh, the voices are loud and clear uh, on, on the need um, uh, to live together, to be compassionate and to care about each other and about the environment, that we're all dependent on, then we believe that uh, they uh, will indeed uh, not only uh, help create that type of leadership, but some of them will be the leaders themselves. And I think that's, um, uh, certainly for me, that's what makes me sort of wake up with a sense of energy every day, that, that uh, in a small way, but in, in, a, in a way that builds, that's a building block every day, I, I really do feel that uh, we continue to build that block for a better future. And there's, a, there's only a better future if there's a better future for us all, because a better future for one of us is not gonna take us anywhere far. Uh, because like nature, we are dependent. Nada, Yana, myself, we're dependent on each other as people, as co-directors, and that really reflects how we're also dependent on each other as, as people, Israelis, Palestinians, and Jordanians. And in the broader setting, as, you know, as climate change shows us, that we're a tiny planet. Now, you know, one country goes loose and, and doesn't uh, do the right thing. We all pay the price. Thank you, Gidon, Nada, and Yana for this wonderful conversation. Unraveling the Anthropocene is brought to you by the Liberal Arts Collective at Penn State. This episode was produced by Hannah Matangos and Marve Tabur. Be sure to subscribe and follow along wherever you get your podcasts and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time.